calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's the show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Hi, Linda. Hey, Christopher. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Gladly. All right. Let's get going, shall we? Yes. Okay, my audience, I want to introduce to you my guest today, Christopher John Stubbs. He's an advisor to entrepreneurial men. He has 17 years of coaching experience with with a deep and profound and lasting client testimonials and results. His unique coaching style guides people to sovereignty, wholeness, and self-love, guiding them through their trauma and through their pain and through the pain of their past experiences. He drives his clients through insecurities, doubts, fears, and conditioned programming to a place of wholeness. All right, Christopher, thanks so much. Uh, I'm really looking forward to today's show. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So what got you started in this coaching business, this crazy <laughs> business of ours? <laughs> we'll just say a, a gun in the throat. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I had a traumatic childhood, very ambitious, and basically thought if I worked hard and got all the nice external things and had a positive attitude that life would be good. And life had Not so much. <laughs> life, life had a lesson or two to teach you. <laughs> yeah. So I accomplished a lot of those things and made the money and had the things and the beautiful family and all the things. And then when things didn't go my way and I had some deep pain in relationship to my romantic relationship and how that went down, I found myself with a gun in my throat after a couple of bottles of alcohol and and I realized it was time to stop avoiding my trauma and my pain and my doubts and fears and insecurities and go deep into myself to bring wholeness within so that I could actually create something that would truly be fulfilling instead of just ignoring those things and thinking that something outside of me was going to make me feel complete and whole and fulfilled and satisfied and, and loved and all the things. Wow. What made you go inward to say, hey, maybe there's another way, maybe there's another area of my life I need to look at? A few things contributed to that. In my late teens, I worked with my dad, and when we would drive in the car to work, he would listen to these audiobooks from Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra and all kinds of people like that. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, can we just listen to some music on the popular radio station? This stuff is so boring. And over time, I grew to love it. And so all through my late teens and all through my 20s, I was constantly, anytime I was driving, I was listening to wow. an audio. And usually they were in the spiritual nature. And so that began to awaken all kinds of things in me. And then about 25 years old uh, was the first time. Essentially, a lot of my pain was related to sexuality. My dad was unhealthy sexually and many other ways. and But the, some of the deepest pain was around everything to do with sex. And so what that led me ignoring and carrying out, just trying to be the positive attitude guy with an unbreakable work ethic or nearly unbreakable work ethic. When I was 25, my wife at the time had an affair on me and that nearly sent me over the edge. And I went ended up going to an eight-day healing retreat 
that exposed me to the power of deep, deep healing work, not just listening to an audiobook, like actually going and doing the deep work. Mm -hmm. And so that woke me up to so much more, but I thought I had arrived after that. I've been listening to audiobooks and I've done this eight day retreat. Like, okay, now we've got life by the horns. Like I've arrived. I got this figured out. Yeah. And I brought some of that with me, but I also just kind of went back to a lot of the old patterns, you know, have a positive attitude and just grind forward and never, never get up more times than you fall and you're good. And then when I was 29, the same wife, we had healed, you know, <laughs> I say we had healed. We had gotten back together a year later and we had another child. And a few years later, a new version of the same experience took place where she made similar choices that were similarly difficult for me. And so I land with a gun in my throat. And well, prior to that, I just holed up in an apartment and, and drank every day and hardly ate anything and didn't talk to anybody and just isolated in a trauma response. And it hit a peak that day that I put a gun in my mouth. And the next day I just stopped buying alcohol and hired a life coach and went to work. And I really, my therapy at first, uh, immediately after that was a combination of listening to rage music listening to Enya type music, and then listening to self-help books. So that was my free therapy. And then I started really working with a very, very powerful coach that was light years ahead of her time. A few years after that, I realized, you know what? I need to sell this business. And I had to build a large empire. I was like, nah, I'm going to sell this whole thing and I'm going to start over completely. So I, I went to school for years, not like college, mm -hmm. but like studying with Native Americans and studying with shamans and studying body language and communication skills and relationships and parenting and trauma healing and energy work and marketing and sales and business and all the things. And I've just been an avid student since. Wow. What a story. So what set you off on your journey? Because young boys from age four on, they're told stiff upper lip, boys don't cry. And as an, a young adult, men are told solve your problems yourself, don't depend on anybody, don't lean on it, you got to trust yourself, not other. Like what made you dump all of that and get a coach and get outside help? So I was still really arrogant and um, naive when I hired the coach. I thought, okay, I'm in a really bad place. Uh, I'll tell you, an uh, how edgy is your podcast? Yeah, go for it. I was in the loneliest of lonelies before I hired the coach, right before I put the gun in my throat. And I felt like I needed love from somebody, but I couldn't handle uh, any sex. I didn't want to have sex with anybody. And my pattern wasn't to go out and try to medicate by going and having sex and womanizing. My pattern was to isolate and go within and go away from everybody. Yeah. And I had isolated so long and hard that I was just in, and I was, I wasn't isol isolating in and of itself it explains like it wasn't healthy, like going within and healing. It was going, isolating and living in a living hell and cycling uh, a hellacious experience in my heart, mind, and body continuously, continuously day and night. Mm -hmm. So one day I'm like, I, I've got to have some form of touch and I need to be held. And so I went to a strip club and I uncomfortably asked this guy, hey, I know you guys have this VIP. I see you have this VIP experience where you, you can get a private room with someone. I'm like, I don't want to dance. I'm not here to watch some woman dance. Can I pay the fee and just have her just hold me? And he's like, I'll check. And he goes and whatever, they arrange it. And I go to 
this back room and there's a plexiglass between me and this woman. And it's so silly because she was traumatized from her experience with men. So she couldn't actually be present for shit to her. She's holding some broken man for money. Yeah. But it was the, it was actually helpful, but it's just such a dichotomy and an irony that at that state, the only form of love I knew how to get access to was to pay to be held. So with the plexiglass right here, we just wrapped our arms around each other. I sit here for 15 minutes, cost me a couple hundred bucks or whatever it was. And it was literally this for 15 minutes. Wow. And then, right. So a pretty fascinating experience to dissect. What is that, you know, intellectually? What is that psychologically? What is that physiologically? What are all the dynamics that played out in that? So it was a powerful experience, but a very informative experience too. So then I hire this coach and I do a session. I'm like, great. I feel amazing. Okay. We got this now. And I was about to go back to the same pattern of positive attitude and just plow forward. And then a week later, I'm like, Hey, can we get another session? Cause still all kinds of unaddressed stuff. Oh yeah. So we sign up and I, I buy a few a la carte sessions, just one at a time. And after the third session, she's like, you know, it might serve you to just you know, keep working with me for a while. Do you want to put this thing on autopilot? And I'm like, you know, yeah, we need to do that. And so every session was so transformative and powerful, like stuff I had struggled with for 30 years that I had never found an answer to or never been able to shift. We would have one session and break through five major things that I couldn't find an answer to in my head. Wow. So then she invited me to a workshop and I did that and the same thing. And she invited me to another and I did that and the same thing. And then she invited me. Do you know who Gay and Katie Hendricks of the Hendricks Institute are? No, just some of the most phenomenal people on the planet that are some of the most powerful facilitators of transformation and and healing and empowerment and and personal power in the world. Their level of clients like Oprah Winfrey was a client of theirs and Jimi Hendrix. And so they work at a very, very high level. So she invited me to a workshop with them. And it was so transformative that I signed up for what they used to have. It was an apprentice program where you could apprentice with them for a few years. And so I I did that. And that was the best decision of my life. But from there, I realized I'm just never going to stop learning and growing and healing and expanding and never stop. No stopping. And there was an interesting dynamic where I actually lost some masculine power in that because the healing takes place in the feminine uh, is the fastest, most effective way. Yeah. But when the wounded masculine, I didn't know this till like in the last year. Well, I've learned it on layers all through the last many years, 15, 17 years, something. But there's this pendulum where you grow up kind of in the the unhealthy masculine and, and the don't, you know, stiff upper lip, all the things you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then you finally find the pain's big enough that you go over and you get held in the feminine and you cry and you feel and you learn emotional intelligence and communication and listening and how to hold space and all these things. But we feel so nurtured over here. We think that we're to become feminine. Like mm. the feminine was there to heal the masculine. But the, the what I now, this, this is a part I've been learning in the last year is you're not meant to become feminine. You're meant to embody some feminine traits and open up to some feminine aspects of yourself, but not give up your masculine. But there's a pendulum swing, just like so many other things where when you first start healing, you just become more and more and more feminine. Right. And then you realize, oh, that diffused my ability to make money and I've become unattractive and polarity has gone away in my relationship and she don't want to have sex anymore and she don't trust me and I'm not able to follow through and commit to things and make things happen. So then 
it, it does this thing. And ideally, if we keep on the path, then we come closer to the center and, and continue to navigate in this healthy way of, can I be emotionally intelligent? Can I be soft? Can I be gentle? Can I be present? And can I be firm? Can mm -hmm. I have boundaries? Can I be clear? Can I be direct? Can I be assertive? All at the same time in the same container. That's quite a tall order. Yes. And I think to be in the healing side, you sort of have to submit to your coach or to the teacher or whomever. And that yes. must be a weird, strange feeling too. Because as that men, was, you're not taught that. There was big resistance. You know, my dad was a mess and my mom really tried hard. She was a mess too, but she really tried hard. And she would say, please do therapy with me. And he's, oh, hell no, that's blah, blah, blah. And I see that all the time, even out in society, like therapy is for broken people. I'm yeah. not broken, right? And right. it's like, no, we're all dealing with a lot of shit. Even if you think you had the perfect childhood and all the things, like all of us are dealing with a lot of shit because life is life. Yeah. And so that took a massive, you know, ego and pride. And am I a broken person? Am I flawed that I need therapy? Am I, you know, and all the things. So yes, yes, that takes a massive surrender and trust. And, and it is feminine nature to say, okay, lead me. Right. Did you know this coach ahead of the gun incident? So she had facilitated that eight day retreat experience. Right. So yes, I knew her and trusted her. Yes. So you had someone to go to after you yes. put the gun down. Yes. Wow. That's that's crazy. Crazy yes. good luck, actually. Because yes. <laughs> you could put the gun down and still not know what to do next. So pick it up again. It, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, what a story. All right, Christopher. I want to talk to you about your banner, if you don't mind. I saw this banner on your site recently, and it says Ascension, Ascend to Your True Potential. By the way, my listening audience, I'm going to put the banners and the links, uh, et cetera, as usual, um, on the site, on Blog Talk Radio and social media when we get done with the show. But anyway, it says Ascend to Your True Potential, and you rattle off a few different bullet points. So let's just kind of dive into them one at a time, if you don't mind. The first one you say is sovereignty as a man. So tell my audience what you mean by that and how it allowed you to progress and grow. Yeah, so I haven't achieved sovereignty. I'm every day embodying more and more sovereignty. So I'll lead with that. Okay. Sovereignty for me is essentially like some people, a lot of people aren't familiar with this term. And then mm -hmm. there's people that have preconceived notions about what it means. Mm -hmm. The shadow side of sovereignty would be something like, I don't need anybody or anything. I'm sovereign unto myself. Yeah. Right. And that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Now I'm talking about the opposite of codependence. Okay. I'm talking about, uh, are you familiar with nice guy syndrome? Yeah, of course. <laughs> to be sovereign, you can't be controlled by your nice guy syndrome. Mm-hmm. Well, nice guys are operating from a place of fear. Right. Um, they they yeah. feel like, oh, they're going to go over to the girlfriend's house and paint her living room and change her tires and reboot her computer or like whatever it is. Right. And she's going to want sex from right. you because right. you've done these nice things. It doesn't do work that nice way. Things and whatever it takes <laughs> to, to earn her the right to have sex with her and then I'll feel whole. Right. I don't feel whole within. Right. Yeah. And so that's part of the definition of sovereignty is what does it take for me to feel whole so that I'm not here to objectify and take. I'm here to connect from a with other whole people or person. 
mm-hmm. in a way that we're whole without it, but we're not like an island unto ourselves. It's it's fueling the growth and the healing and, and the energy and the creativity and the connection and that it's of service rather than this weird give-take transaction or just mm-hmm. take transaction. Yeah. Uh, it's switching into, and it becomes substantially more attractive. Like women, the more sovereign I get, the more they're just like, oh my gosh, that's what I've been looking for. Thank you. Even if it's not sexual or anything, just when they feel what it's like to relate. And the same for me, I have a few women friends that have achieved a high level of sovereignty. And I'm like, oh, that's what it feels like to not be responsible for a damn thing that they're experiencing, but to still show up in relation, right relationship and communicate in a way that's helping us heal instead of re-traumatizing each other. So sovereignty is combined with openness to learning and radical responsibility and self-sourcing, but the ability to receive and connect still. And it's a combination of the highest level of confidence met with the highest level of humility that we can achieve and embody in a way that we are in healthy communion instead of the codependent, I need you, you need me, all the things, all the movies and songs that promoted our whole life that you find the one and live happily ever after. Well, the one was always right here. And it's when we become whole here. Because if we get two people leaning on each other, it's only a matter, it's really hard to navigate life. Yeah. As soon as one of them, you know, is not there, the other one falls. And so sovereignty is like, it it could be two whole people coming together. Mm -hmm. And now you've got an infinity. Mm -hmm. It could be two whole people standing on their own, but willing to relate in a loving, kind, respectful, self-responsible way. And now you're walking side by side, holding hands, but you're not leaning. Right. And, you know, one plus one then equals 11. It's like the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So it's not about It's like you come to a place that you need nothing from anybody, Mm -hmm. but you still set it up to receive abundantly and give abundantly, but it's not from the needy space. It's from I'm whole. I've got everything. I give myself everything I ever wanted from anyone else, and I still receive abundantly the other way. So a lot of people get scared of sovereignty. Well, if I give myself everything I need, then what's the purpose of being in relationship? Uh, Because it's really freaking awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the combination of the two really, some of the parts really exceeds the the number. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So I have a quick way of rewording all of that. And in my book, I call it quiet confidence. Yeah. So it's like a confidence from within. What I see a lot of men today is they do the opposite of that. They do what I call fake confidence. They know they need the confidence. They don't have the confidence for real. So fake confidence shows up like arrogance, cockiness, bastardness, all the the negative side of confidence. Right, exactly. So, yeah. When you're ascended, (laughs) you don't have to broadcast it. You know you have it and you're the only one that counts. You only bring it up maybe in rare instances, like three or 4% of the time when someone has crossed the line with your values and morals, then you speak up. But if they're leaving you alone, you, you don't, you know, you don't say my bank account is this or my fancy car is that, or I live in this, you know, zip code. No. It's none of their business. Yeah. So I rarely talk about those things, but I think, and I totally agree with all of that, but I want to add a caveat. 
I think there's a flavor of confidence that I, I love and totally resonate with. Yeah, quiet confidence. I don't need to prove anything. I don't right. need to broadcast anything. I don't need to be seen by anyone because I see me and I mm -hmm. approve of me and there's mm -hmm. no more proving to do. And, I find and with that comes self-acceptance, yes. which is also a very important skill for a man yes. to have. Self-love is a critical, self-love, self-acceptance, self-respect, self-care, self-nurturing. These are all, all things that we, yeah. we must develop and become really good at. But there's another piece where there's a power because one of the things that the culture, the primary dominant culture has done is made a definition of humility that is, I experience is unhealthy. And, and that being that if you give me compliments, I'll deflect them because I don't want it to go to my head. Yeah. If, if I have a strength, I won't acknowledge it because I don't want it to go to my head. I don't want to become that arrogant guy. Right. And so it's a deflection of positive energy. And then it's widely spread that it's like this, this positive thing to be self-deprecating. Mm -hmm. yeah, I suck because blah, blah, blah that that's humility. But what I experience humility as and, and a right balance here is a combination of, I will show you my weaknesses. I will show, like I let out with, hey, I'm, I just want to make it clear right now. I'm not fully sovereign embodied man. I'm a guy who's embodying that more every day because when this fake confidence shows up, we, you know, and I've done this in the past where I just put on this show. Yeah, I've arrived here. And if you pay me money, you can have this too. Yeah. And that sets me up to be on a pedestal that when they realize I'm human, they're like, you lying bastard. Right. And there's a whole drama dynamic that unfolds. And so when I just say, look, here's all of me. Here's where I'm awesome. Here's what I've learned. Here's where I've grown. Here's where I show up powerfully. And it's not about my car and my bank account and the, my, you know, the sexy women or the, the stuff but it's more like this inner, like what, what I'm proud of in a, in a non-arrogant way to the best of my ability is like my vulnerability and the mm. inner work I've done and how I show up and contribute and the, the blessing I, I can be in other people's lives so often. And then my ability, my, like I'm proud of how I'm such an avid learner and how I do my very best to walk my talk and not just talk it and not walk it. Right. right. And so I love to just be like sovereign enough and confident enough that I can own my greatness and my smallness in the very same breath, in the very same sentence. This feels like it's a state of being that gives permission for others to begin to own their greatness. It's like uh, I think some scripture or something talks about like you're like a grain of sand. You're nothing in the scheme of things. But at the same time, you're the most grandiose thing in the world. Like you're a child of God, right? And so you are a prince, you are a king, you are, so it's like, when we can embody, I am the lowest of lows. I am, if you spot it, you got it. Everything I see in anyone, their greatness, their smallness, their everything, I am that. And I love myself enough that I don't have to hide any of it. I don't have to hide my, my greatness to protect you. And I don't have to hide my smallness to protect you mm -hmm. um, or me that I'm safe enough in me that I can bring all of me to the table and have that be of service to all of us. I love that. Where did you grow up, by the way, your childhood? Was it in the Northwest or? In my first uh, 
four or five years, I was born into a polygamous community in Southern Utah that I mm. experienced. My experience of that is that it was a cult, mm. lots of things going on there. And then we moved out of that town to, there was a low income housing, income housing unit that, that was government funded in conjunction with a Native American tribe where they build a housing complex just off their property. I imagine they maybe signed a lease with the U.S. government and then got some government funding and grants or something and then built this whole complex of houses where essentially like whites, blacks, and, and Hispanics lived that were very, very poor people. Like I think my mom's rent, She, my dad went to prison after that and uh, she was raising nine children as a single mother who was very locked and confused on her own on an Indian reservation with a bunch of people who hated white people. And I think her rent was, she was a, you know, a waitress that maybe made two bucks an hour, a dollar 50 an hour and, and maybe 40 bucks a, a night and tips. So I don't know if you run that math, maybe 10, 15 bucks labor plus 40 bucks. So 50 bucks a day, five days a week, 250 bucks times 4,000 bucks a month, nine kids. Uh, and her rent was maybe, you know, 40 bucks or something, right? Because it was subsidized. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine being in a, the Indian part of the reservation or the Native American part of the reservation was like, we will kill you, white boy and very abusive and then you have kind of the the whites blacks and hispanics kind of band together like we gotta we gotta be tight-knit here we're screwed and also just all of us in our our toxicity and our pain and our trauma and like you're in an environment that is is a pretty pretty interesting dynamic <laughs> so spent till i was 10 there then when i was 10 my mom married a polygamous man back in that same town and community he had like three she was his fourth wife he had like 35 kids Ugh. and so now I'm in a whole nother dynamic and so I went from like the abused little kid to the surviving on an Indian reservation as a minority in a minor in a culture as a minority mm -hmm. uh, and then like and what running wild like an Indian like I was raising myself mostly yeah. And now I'm in this controlled environment where there's this very masculine, emotionally, mostly unavailable man who he wasn't abusive in, you know, he wouldn't beat me or never molested or any of the things, but it was just like work, work, work and work some more. And you've got a roll and let's go. So we're milking cows and harvesting chickens and turkeys and eggs and hauling hay and wood and he saw you as child labor. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. So we were all, all of us. It, he, he didn't see us. I, I feel like we were used as child labor, but he, I think he viewed it as, hey, we're a family unit. This is how stuff works. This is how it worked when I was a kid. Like we all got to contribute. We got a lot of mouths to feed and we're all in this together and let's go. Okay. So, but that so it was, wasn't, it wasn't abusive. It was a family unit coming together. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. but it was intense. It was intense for me to all of these transitions were very intense. I feel like I lived a lifetime in those first five years and those next five years. And then from 10 to 14 is when I lived in this family unit and then I ran away. So there's the long, short, medium answer of where did I grow up? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Crazy. 
Yeah, kind of, I, I have a picture in my head that you're in the mountains with the moose and, <laughs> you know, somewhere in the Northwest <laughs> on the wide open plains. <laughs> I have that vibe. So all, all that took place in Southern Utah and Nevada. But yeah, there's like a mountain man aspect of me. Like I, that's my place. Like when I go to, instead of isolate, go to connect within and, and with nature, that's my place. I go build a fire and I go out in the mountains and I get dirty and uh, I just connect with nature. Yeah. So what'd you do after 14? I drove. Did you go live with somebody or you were just on your own or? No. So I, I hadn't been with my dad since I was like five or whatever. And so I drove to Phoenix with no license in an unlicensed vehicle that I was stealing gas from random strangers to get there. Uh, the floorboards were rusted out. It didn't have a heater. They had gotten into my head enough that I thought I was going to hell for leaving. I thought I was going to juvie for driving without a license in an unlicensed vehicle. And I was stepping into this big, scary world that they had, basically, they believed that the 5,000 of them were the one and only chosen souls of God and everyone else out in the world were basically an abomination to God. And, and uh, if you're not there, you're going to hell and the last days are coming and the world's going to be destroyed and you're going to suffer in an eternal damnation. And I didn't believe that, but it was ingrained enough that I was scared that they might be right. And so that was possibly the scariest night of my life. By the time I got to Phoenix, I couldn't move my neck or back or hips. Like everything was like one solid, dense mass of just tension. Like I was going to jail. I was, my stepdad was going to come get me and I'd be trapped forever. And I was going to hell and it was the biggest, scariest leap. And um, I arrive at my dad's house. I lived there for about a month. The first, he, I didn't dare tell him I was coming because I didn't dare get on the phone line and have someone listen in and thwart my plans. So I did all this without, the only person I told was my brother. And my brother- He, he didn't want to come with you? No, he aided me in all this. He had already left and I had coordinated in person with him mm. to, to help me pull all this off. Okay. And so- I spent about a month with my dad and it's just toxic guys drunk all day, every day complaining and just abusive verbally and to everyone around. And just, and I just like, I cannot do this. And so I called around to another brother who had ran away previous to that. And um, he's like, Hey, I, I know a family that has taken in others. Do you want me to see if they'll take you in? And I said, yes, please. And he got back with me and said, yeah, they'll take you in. And so I, had an aunt and an uncle passing through town in Phoenix where I was staying with my dad. And this family was in Southern Utah at the base of Zion National Park in a little beautiful town called Springdale. And so I got a ride and got dropped off in Springdale and moved in with this family. And I had four of the best years of my life there. Mm. Wow. Crazy story. I'm glad it had a, <laughs> a good ending for you. So were you able to like live with your brothers, the other brothers that had had run away? Or I, I, I'm assuming they were both older than you. One of my brothers moved in temporarily there with us eventually, mm -hmm. a short time. And then we were all able to interact from there. Previously, there was limited interaction because when I was living with the stepdad and that religion, 
he did it the best he could to keep me from outside influences. Right. Yeah. Control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To my listening audience, if you've just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We're on today with my guest, Christopher John Stubbs. And you can find Christopher, by the way, uh, he's a business coach, but you can find him on Facebook, the whole name spelled out, Christopher John Stubbs, Stubbs with two Bs, as you see in his uh, picture there. Or you can find him on IG, TikTok, and YouTube, also all one word, Christopher John Stubbs. So when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking a little bit more about ascension to your true potential. I think the next topic I want to dive into, Christopher, is a purpose-based life as to what that means. All right. So I just want to let you know, my audience, that Mother's Day is coming up this coming Sunday, which is the 14th. And you'll want to pick up my book to help you out. Maybe you don't know what to say in the Mother's Day card. So cute little book here, ebook, 101 Reasons Why I Love You. These are great ideas on what to write in your Mom's Day card. So it's free if you have Amazon Prime. Otherwise, it's 99 cents for the ebook. So just ship yourself over to Amazon and look up Linda Gross Books, Linda Gross Books, and you'll be able to find it. And then, of course, my men's book you'll want to check out, which is now in the audiobook format, The Science of Mastering Women, The Science of Mastering Women, audiobook, ebook, paperback, it's all there. So we'll catch you there. All right, we'll catch you right back after the break. Hey guys, do you have a nagging problem that you just can't get a handle on? Now you can talk to an expert coach right in the privacy of your own home. Meet in person, over the phone, or with a free Skype call anywhere in the world. Linda is here to make it easy for you. Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Linda's expert advice gets you through tackling relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and removing lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back, usually handled in four sessions or less. Realize the benefits now. Go to the Men's Advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way. That's themensadvocate.com slash coaching. Darn, maybe you missed part of this show. Maybe you're still at work during the show. Maybe you heard the show but would like to listen again. Your problems are easily solved. Listen to any and all of Linda's archived shows at your convenience. Just Google SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. That's Google SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. The on-demand library is also available on the TuneIn app. Subscribe now and please share with your friends. Welcome back, everybody. You're currently on with me, Linda Gross, your host on the Men's Advocate Show. I'm on with my guest today, Christopher Stubbs, and we are talking about ascending to your true self. Christopher, let's talk a little bit about the merits of a purpose-based life. What is that? Why should that be important to men? Yeah, so I like to merge when it comes to, to having the optimal life. My philosophy is that you discover your new, unique gifts, talents, and abilities in what I call the zone of genius from some work I've depicted from Gay Hendricks as well as others. When it comes to purpose, 
a quote comes to mind where the, the old quote says, the truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. Well, a friend of mine did some deep work and, and was inspired one day and they said, know the truth of who you really are. That is the truth that will set you free. Okay. And so when we look at purpose, it's like a lot of people, maybe their dad did construction, so they do construction, or their dad was a doctor, so they're a doctor. Their dad was in the military, so they're a military, or five Mm -hmm. generations have been military, so they're military, because that's what we do. Right. But we're all unique souls, and we all came down for unique reasons, and we all come from unique backgrounds. And so a lot of purpose and zone of genius can be discovered in what did you dream of being when you were young? What did you most enjoy doing when you were young? What do you do that doesn't feel like work? It feels like play. Yeah. What do you do that, that you lose track of time when you're doing it? Or it doesn't drain you of energy. It fills you with energy. Mm-hmm. Like a, a few hours ago, I was like, oh, I don't feel like doing hopping on a Zoom today. I hopped on and did what I love with a group of amazing people. And the further into it I went, the more amazing and alive and vibrant I felt. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't drain you. It fuels you. You would never want to retire from it. Mm -hmm. You look forward to doing it. It's the most enjoyable and fulfilling thing you can do. And the good news about that is it's also the thing that you can make the most money doing because it's unique to you. Yeah. Not that you're the only person in the world that has it, but those are the, the most tremendous gifts you've been given. And if you consider the principle that dollars follow value when it comes to money, mm-hmm. uh, the deeper principle is value follows value, the law of reciprocation. Mm-hmm. But in the financial world, dollars follow value. So a lot of guys seek, how do I get more money? And that's the wrong question or not the suboptimal question to start with. The real question is, what value do I most enjoy and am I most qualified to add to people's lives and to the world? And so as we dig deeper into who am I outside of social conditioning, who am I outside of what my parents taught me to be, who am I outside of what a church or the government said I should be, or what society expects of me, who am I outside of my guilt and my shame and my trauma and my stories and my thoughts and my feelings and the shape of my body? Who am I outside of my bank account and my nice things and my hot wife or the woman I love and my children? Like, who are we really? And yeah. so as we get deeper and deeper into discovering, and it works, the a model I work off here is that at the core of all humans, there's an essence. And then outside of that is all these masks or personas that we've taken on for survival. Mm-hmm. And that the power comes in learning who we are at the core level. If you're speaking in religious terms, it'd be like, as a soul, who are you? Outside your thoughts and your traumas and your conditioning and your stories and beliefs and fears and doubts and insecurities and survival mechanisms and conditioned patterns, who are you at the core? And so the more we discover that and integrate that and begin to live as as that, there is no proving, like this is a key to sovereignty because there's the essence of who we are has nothing to compensate for, nothing to improve. It doesn't even have anything to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more like a remembrance, like that that core of who we are is way smarter than what this thing is Mm -hmm. and more loving and more present and more of all the good things, right? And so 
when we go to purpose, it's like, are you aligned in every way? With Like, is your financial path? Let me back up. I had a powerful session with that first coach where I came to her after a lot of breakthrough and I was starting to feel alive. Like, you know, you've really helped me a lot. I feel like this spiritual stuff and this emotional healing stuff is really good. And I, I, I felt really like called to be a highly a spiritual being and a, a, my, you know, I was raised Christian. And so it was like, I want to be Christ-like. And I, I said, but I'm confused because there's a, one part of me that feels like I want to go just make a lot of money and do all these things. And there's another part of me that I just want to go be an enlightened monk and just devote my life to God. And she did this super powerful process with me where she showed me that it didn't need to be either or, mm. that it could be both. And so she had me identify who's the richest person I know, knew of in the world and who's the, who's the most spiritual or enlightened being that I've heard of. And so I combined, we did this process for me. To, and she says, what would happen if this person with this amount of financial resources was merged with this? With, and my, my spiritual mentor was Jesus. And so if I were to redo this today, I would be like, if I had the money of like Elon Musk, <laughs> richest man in the world, but I was as enlightened and integrous and loving as Jesus, and I was fully embodied in both of those energies, mm -hmm. how much good could I do in the world, right? Instead of like, oh, there's this monk or this Buddha or this Gandhi or this Jesus or that you know goes off in a cave and in the mountains and meditates and makes their contribution to the world what felt resonant to me is what if i became both yeah what if i could function in the real 3d world mm -hmm. as that enlightened being with very deep pockets what impact could i have on the world right so that changed the trajectory of my life and since then i've been in an ever evolving process of how do i embody all of that and I've become more and more of that, more and more successful in the the modern world, while also going deeper and deeper into my spiritual growth and integration and evolution. And so that's a big part of my purpose. And so part of this too is like your greatest mess becomes your greatest message. So I start mm -hmm. to look at where have my mess has been. Well, I've been a failure in relationship. I've been a failure. You know, I filed bankruptcy after being a millionaire twice. I filed bankruptcy a multimillionaire. And I felt like a failure. But then I learned and healed and learned a lot of things. And it was a tremendous growth opportunity and come to find out most wealthy people have been bankrupt before, right? And the failure, like if you want to be successful, you get busy failing forward as fast as you can. Yeah. Failure is embraced as part of the process. So your greatest mess becomes your message kind of informs this. Multiple books, there's quotes Another one says, You're, you came to teach what you came to learn. So if we reflect back, like what, are, what have been all my biggest struggles in life? And then we devote ourselves to overcoming them. That's the greatest certification in the world. It's not a paper from anyone else. Yeah. Check mark and a signature. It's, did you struggle deeply with this? And did you overcome it? And in that process, did you learn how to help others overcome it? And so another book says, your purpose in life is to answer the call for love wherever you hear it. Well, the call for love is in many forms. It's, it's a man trying to provide for his family 
but he don't know how to provide well because he's got all kinds of money trauma and stories and guilt and shame and fear, uh, an answer to, to his call for love might be helping him to provide for his family. Mm-hmm. A woman that's in an abusive relationship, it might be teaching her how to be sovereign and to honor and love herself and to remove herself from the abuse, right? So that the call for love is anywhere that I'm aware and I go, man, that's really rough, like sex trafficking. Yes, that's on my heart and mind. Like, how do we resolve this, right? So right. there's many, many calls for love in the world. And that informs me on, okay, these things that pull on your heartstrings, these are some calls to love you can help solve. So if I had the money of, of Elon Musk and the love of Jesus, I could probably make a pretty big dent in the sex trade issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we look at another book said, your purpose in life is to recreate yourself anew into the next greatest version of the grandest vision you've ever held about who you are. Now that's kind of a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. And, a mind. and so I re-say that in our purpose is simply to ever evolve into the next greatest version of ourself over and over and over, right? But then Gay Hendricks said he had discovered his purpose, which is essentially something like to ever expand into the greatest version of himself while having as much fun as possible and helping as many others as possible to do the same, right? And so when I play with all these and I look within me and I kind of merge them together and every version of purpose I've seen essentially has to do with how good can we create our life to be while we expand into the greatest version of ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all the ways, and how much fun and joy and taking in the roses can we do in that process and, and sharing connection with others, and then how much service and contribution can we be from that place of wholeness to the world? And what are our unique gifts and how do they tie into all that? And then what are the unique needs in the marketplace that people are willing to pay for so that we're, our spiritual mission and our material human mission are aligned in one and the same. And this brings the greatest amount of joy and fulfillment and alignment and integrity and abundance and all the other things. The more we spend our time in purpose, passion, purpose, and zone of genius, the more we're capable of now having time freedom where we actually be present with our loved ones and we go see those beautiful places and we have time to take care of ourselves and to connect with source and to do all these things because they all work hand in hand. If we're stuck in fight or flight survival, we can't be the gift we can be in the world. So why do you think someone like Elon Musk, who has started four or five very well-known companies, world-changing companies, has not necessarily gone down a spiritual path as well. I mean, yes, okay, he bought Twitter. Yes, he's trying to stand up for First Amendment rights. I give him credit for that. But he's not thinking about sex trafficking, child sex trafficking, and some of the other world issues that we are facing. Also, in the last four or five years, there's been an explosion of brand new billionaires. I think most of them have gone down an evil path. They're not looking for, okay, I have sacks full of money. How can I give back to the world? They're not going, they're not thinking in that way whatsoever. Why do you think that is, that they're going down an evil path? My experience of money is that it's not neither good nor evil. It's neutral. It's a tool. And every tool can be used as a tool of production or a tool of destruction. Yeah. You put a hammer in the right hands and it can build you a house you put a hammer in the wrong hands and it can kill someone violently right 
right? And Or it can destroy that house. And so money I view as a microphone. Whatever is unresolved in you, it will amplify. I don't know if the world has ever seen, I don't believe it's ever seen somebody who has embodied what I'm intending to embody. There might be others. Throughout history or just currently or? It's possible that on some level, someone was wealthy and spiritual and they were a tremendous leader. Yeah. But I can't think of anyone who became both off the top. Yeah. I mean, I watch Elon cautiously. There's a lot of things that he does right. (laughs) <laughs> but I also have a lot of reservation about him. I, I, I often feel like, well, is he going to pull the rug out from under us? Is he just lulling us into a sleep and then he's going to stick the knife in our back tomorrow? I mean, like, what's going on here? I don't fully trust him, I guess I, I mean to say. Yeah, I don't I, have an accurate read on that. I don't know what's happening. And I just try to stay in my own lane, but also observe enough to see like, hmm, interesting, but whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Right. Happen any other way. So I tend to just keep my focus on what am I up to? What am I meant to be up to? What's my contribution? How do I expand into me? So the AI is going to do what AI is going to do. And Elon Musk is going to do what he's going to do. And Bill Gates is doing what he's doing. So I don't know. I don't know how on purpose they are and how not on purpose they are. I don't know. I don't know. So I just, I don't, rather than being in judgment about anyone out there, I just observe from the most neutral place I can, accept life as it is and people as they are, and keep my focus on who do I need to be and what's my next step to fulfill my purpose. So apparently he's made it his life purpose to go to Mars. And for all I know, that's exactly right for him. Yeah. For God and for the world and for all the, I don't know. That's between him and God. Yeah. But I know my purpose. My purpose is to spread love. My purpose is to empower the people with heart to have the resources to, because the number one vote we seem to have in the world isn't the ballots. It's where we spend our money. If everyone quit spending their money on porn, we wouldn't have a porn problem. If everyone quit right. spending money on. It's just weird that. Coming with, through now. Coming through now. Yes. With this crop of new billionaires like nobody seems to have a calling to also attach their wealth to spirituality or to even like give back, you know, and do good in the world. They don't have an attachment to that. Yeah, It's really quite so, sa- saddening yeah. because yeah. the rest of us who are asleep <laughs> watching all this evil go down, it's, it's no fun. It's like sooner or later, I think we have to rebel. I don't know. It's too much. Yeah. So there's a few things I'm doing to handle my part of that. One is I'm helping guys that are deeply integrated, conscious, loving, heart-centered men to thrive financially. Mm-hmm. But then I also have one-on-one clients that are worth 50 or $100 million who pay me to help them get in their heart and do their spiritual work and their emotional work and to clean up their relationships and to get into integrity and to discover who they really are. So I feel like part of my purpose is to be that bridge where we get enough of the resources in the right hands and enough of the love in the hands of those with resources that we can begin to reshape this. And then in the meantime, I'm also studying and exploring and surrounding myself with people who are exploring a combination of artificial intelligence meets cryptocurrency and sovereign money that no longer puts the hands in the control of the governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, So my number one mission is 
get people in a place of power so we no longer operate as subservient sheep that just have to go along with the agenda. Right. And to help people get to that place, because as long as people are not in their essential power, nothing will change. And if I were to go, you know, Mother Teresa said, invite me to an anti-war rally, I won't come. (laughs) Invite me to a pro-peace rally, I'll be the first one there. And so for me to stand up and a different version of this, Buckminster Fuller said, if you want to change an existing thing or system or circumstance, don't focus any of your energy on resisting what is. Focus the entirety of your energy on creating something new that renders the old way of doing things outdated. And so that's my approach to life is how do I get as many people in power as possible in, in real power? Right. Soul, heart, integrity, love, truth, and grit, right? Mm-hmm. The masculine and feminine. The more people I can get in power and the more people they get in power, that's the, what's, be, you know, there's a light side and a dark side to this coaching industry. A lot of mm-hmm. people doing it in a way that don't work. And there's a lot of people doing it in a way that's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so we need as many people doing things beautifully as possible. And the yep. more we do that, the more there will be. It's a snowball effect. Yes. That's, that's mission number one. Mission number two, be a part of and help cultivate and integrate the right solutions that we are creating collectively, whether that includes cryptocurrency or AI or conscious community or whatever we can access Mm -hmm. that allows us to, because here's the deal, stop voting for these presidents and we won't have them anymore. Stop putting these senators in office and we won't have to deal with it anymore. But they are we, they are us. If we don't own the shadow aspect in us, that is them. We will never turn this around. To come to wholeness, we have to bring our own darkness to the light. And we have to bring as many others as possible there. So if I were to fight against the government or Elon Musk or any of these people that are doing whatever they're doing, I would consume my life force energy resisting something that I have no power to change. I don't have enough guns to take over the U.S. government, but I can spread enough love that it dissolves in its current form. Mm. Well, we have, what, some 550 Congress people. I would say less than five of them are honest. I mean, so it's a tall order to throw them all out, or you say don't elect them. That's a tall order. So the only thing we can do is change ourselves. It's a grassroots movement. We have to change ourselves from within and spread that as far as we can across the globe, not only in the U.S., across the world. And then the powers that be no longer have power. Right. We have to diffuse their power because they've been at it for quite a long time for, you know, they've been. But it's through integrating our power and uniting. Right. But the cool thing is there's more of us than them, but we don't realize that. (laughs) There's only a handful of people at the top there who are running the show, it seems. It'll be a very easy transition once we handle our shit. Yep. All right, my audience, if you've just joined us, you're currently on with my guest, Christopher Stubbs. Christopher, we're just almost at the top of the hour here. I don't know if I can keep you on for another five minutes, time permitting on your end. Okay, I wanted to just dive quickly into one more of your Ascension bullet points here, and then we'll wrap up the show. So talk a little bit about soul activating sex (laughs) a favorite topic of most guys so (laughs) they'll be uh eagerly listening i'm sure awesome so 
I find that everything has a light and a dark side. So just like a hammer or money, there's a neutral place and then there's a destructive place and there's a productive place. Hmm. When a man's not in sovereignty and he's objectifying a woman, he's trying to fill himself up by, you know, sleeping with her or whatever, there's a lot of damage that's done. When you bring two whole souls together in full consent, full transparency, deep, deep connection, they've done enough work to open beyond the surface level of rubbing some body parts together. And they, they're they connecting at a soul level as well as a physical level. And you've healed enough trauma in each of you. There's a level... First off, if we talk simply physically, there's a level of pleasure. Most men, you know, if we talk to most of the men out there, they think, oh, yeah, I've heard of women having multiple orgasms or I've shared sex with women with multiple orgasms. Most of them don't know that they have access, that that a man can have the same type of cosmic, orgasmic, multiple orgasm, like lost, like merge with God type experience, too. Mm. That it's not just pump, 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 go, yeah, uh, and then fall asleep. It, it's there's there is there is an eternity of there's such a vast unexplored realm in men's sexuality. You know, one of my friends said, uh, "Let me see if I can recall it." There's boring sex or like plain sex, average sex. There's porn sex, and then there's cosmic sex, right? Very few men realize that there's something way beyond just doing the same thing you've been doing your whole yeah, life right? or trying to duplicate and find something through what they watched on porn. Right. They don't know that there's something so much infinitely better that's actually a highly spiritual experience that is highly transformative, highly he- healing, highly pleasurable. And that it's all at once in this beautiful way that's healing for both parties involved. And that it's it's like bringing God into the bedroom. It's almost like, it feels blasphemous to say, but it's almost like you, you're, God's invited into this experience and, and he's a part of all of it. And that you're not, you're actually connecting so much deeper with yourself, with source, with, with your partner that it becomes one of the fastest way to raise your upper limits, one of the fastest ways and most powerful ways to connect with God, one of the fastest and most powerful ways to connect with divinity in yourself, in another, and in source itself, that the far majority of men on the planet are missing out on an absolutely transformative and healing and empowering experience, and that it even ties to their ability to make money because the thing that drives sex is creative life force energy or God source energy. Mm-hmm. It's desire to create, but we, we more get a raise of energy and then feel uncomfortable with the energy and then want to release the energy in the orgasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it ties to semen retention. Like instead of rushing to the orgasm, can you make this an eight-hour lovemaking experience that has nothing to do with your or your partner getting to an outcome? Mm-hmm. It's all about how deeply can you take the intimacy and the presence and the breath and the awareness and to feel everything that arises. Because when you connect in this deep, loving, safe way, both of you will probably cry. Both of you will probably laugh. Both of you will probably lay back and feel God's presence. 
and there's waves and it's a dance and it, there is no agenda and you're not rushing to get anywhere. It's like a song or a dance. You don't get on the dance floor going, okay, our purpose is to get to that side of the room. Do, 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 do. We're here. Yeah. The dance. Yeah. So Beautiful. Wow. I love this. <laughs> well, to find out more, also, I wanted to highlight an offer that you have with our listening audience here. It's called, go to this website, my guys, menofthewolfpack.com forward slash challenge men of the wolfpack.com forward slash challenge by the way you don't have to remember all this i'll put it in the links later so actually this is a three-day challenge and christopher is going to teach you how to be unfuckable with i didn't say that right Un- unfuck withable unfuck withable <laughs> unfuck withable right okay so men of the wolfpack.com forward slash challenge just give us one sentence what is this challenge about unfuck with the bull is one flavor of sovereignty and like i said i'm not completely unfuck with the bull there's still things that can throw me off center temporarily yeah but the more we embody sovereignty it's like life's gonna have highs and lows relationships are gonna have highs and lows mm-hmm. sometimes shit's gonna be on at you that would typically bring out of you a knee-jerk reaction and the sovereign man or the unfuckwithable man is the man who is well prepared and resourced in his emotional intelligence and his communication skills and his self-love and all the things that if he's hit with a bankruptcy or a divorce or a lawsuit or anything that life might throw at him, that he is well integrated in his ability to come to center, be inspired keep himself in a place of power and navigate whatever arises while he continues to ascend into a life that he loves more and more and more every day where he's more and more in power and he's more and more resourced on all the, the, in all the areas and ways and that he's thriving in his health, his relationships, his spirituality, his finances, so that his life becomes an ascension process instead of hitting the upper limit, going to the lower limit, hitting the upper limit, going to the lower limit. It's all about, how good can we stand it? And mm-hmm. how do we put ourselves with the right skill sets, the right mindsets, and in the right environments, surrounded with the right people, so that life always gets better and our contribution always grows because we're embodying the truth of who we are and bringing our greatest gifts to the world and that we are well prepared for whatever challenges life might throw at us. I love that. May you have great ease in your path. You're truly a light. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Ah, goodness. All right, audience, you were on with my guest today, Christopher John Stubbs. Go check him out. Just hit the at sign, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. It's all the same three words there. Stubbs is S-T-U-B-B, two B's, S, all right? And then if you happen to have missed our show from last time, we were talking about let's go all in with AI. What do you need to know? So my guest from the last show, Leland Sellers, who's an instructional designer, tells us all about it. So when a major delivery company suggests what to buy next, it's based on your previous preferences that's AI. When a voice-activated device takes your question that you pose out loud, 
that's AI. So self-driving cars are using vision recognition systems. That's also AI. So having a new song written then sung by Jay-Z or Elvis, that's AI. And you can't even tell the real person from the current person. Wow. So, so much to think about with this AI topic. Join my guests from last time to dive more into this ferocious technology. So, I want to thank everyone for joining us here today. You've been great, Christopher, and I look forward to hearing updates and staying in touch with you again soon. All right, everybody. Bye for now, and we'll catch you next week on the Men's Advocate Show.